0: How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Today, we are wrapping up our look at the Gospel of John chapter 9 and this awesome story about the man who was born blind that Jesus heals. And just a quick recap, Jesus heals this man by making a mud and spit paste and putting it on his eyes and saying, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He does not tell the man he's going to be healed if he does this. He just shows up And he takes this action, and it requires a tremendous amount of humility for this man to accept having a mud, dirt, spit, paste put on his eyes, and then being told to go wash in the pool of Siloam. But the man does this, and as a result of this, for the first time in his life, he is able to see. Well, then what happens is people are confused by this, and so they take this man to the Pharisees, to the leaders, and the leaders are split over Jesus. Again, all of God's works, even his goodness, is going to bring divisiveness. Everybody doesn't hoop and holler and cheer and turn to God when a miracle shows up. They end up calling in this man's parents because they are so divided and they can't work out. Some people are saying, Jesus, this man cannot be from God. And other people are saying, well, if he's not from God, that makes him a sinner. And so how can a sinner open the eyes of the blind? And so there's this division here. The leaders can't reconcile this. So then they decide, well, it has to be a matter that this, this guy really was not blind or he wasn't blind from birth or, you know, maybe this was some sort of temporary blindness or whatever. So they call the man's parents in and, and the, the man's parents say, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. We don't know how he really got to be well other than the story that that he's said here. And we're not making a judgment call about whether Jesus is a sinner or not. Basically, we're not getting involved in this situation. Excuse me, we're just going to be on our way out the door. If you got any more questions, talk to him. He's a grown-up. He's an adult. Talk to him. And they make their exit. The leaders call the man back, and they ask him a second time. This time, though, it's a little different. They begin by saying, give glory to God. Imagine the irony of this. This man has just been healed. He has received his sight. Um, Maybe they should have been the ones giving glory to God for that. Instead, they're not. And they say, We know this man is a sinner. Now, a little bit ago, they were split over whether he was a sinner or not. So we don't know whether they had actually come to an agreement, whether the ones who were saying, No, I'm not sure that he is a sinner had left or had been told to leave? Was this just a smaller group that corralled this man the second time? We don't really know exactly what happened here. The man responds with total honesty. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. He's not getting involved in this fray. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He just speaks the truth as he knows it and experience it. He has enough wisdom to know not to get involved in debating issues that he's not qualified for. I mean, making a judgment about whether Jesus was a sinner or not was making a judgment. And he recognized that judgment was best left up to God. It wasn't his place to make that decision. It wasn't even within his capacity to make that decision. At this point in time, this man has never even seen Jesus. Because after he had washed and he had gained his sight, he goes back to where he had been in the beginning with Jesus and his disciples. Well, Jesus and his disciples are gone. This man doesn't even know what Jesus looks like at this point. He's certainly not capable of being able to make a statement about the condition of this, of Jesus' heart. Then the leaders come back to him and they say, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? The man at this point is, is understandably getting a little frustrated or confused. And he says, I've told you already and, and you wouldn't listen. And then he says, oh, 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 do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Because he's already told them how it happened. And, and so then it's like, oh, well, well maybe the reason they want to hear it again is because they're also going to become his disciples. They're going to become his followers. And it's important to understand that just because a person had disciples didn't mean that they were seen as being the Messiah. There were lots of leaders and teachers who had disciples. Disciples were just students. That, that's all they were. So when we think in terms of disciple we tend to think in terms of the 12 disciples but there were actually a lot more disciples not just with Jesus but with other leaders and teachers. So when he says to the leaders do you also want to become his disciples, he's not even making a proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. He's just thinking, "Oh, Well, maybe you guys want to become followers of his, too, and and maybe then you can learn how he does these kinds of things. What he doesn't realize is he has just thrown a match on a powder keg of dynamite, and it blows up, and he really becomes collateral damage. And they reviled him. They didn't just come back and challenge him. They didn't just come back and dispute with him. They come back and they revile him. They were filled with so much hatred and animosity towards this man. And for what? What had he really done? He hadn't gone in there and pronounced judgment on all of them. He hadn't said, Jesus is the Messiah. And if you all don't believe that, then you're going to die and go to hell. I mean, he hadn't said anything other than sharing his own story. We want to let that soak in because we can end up being reviled by people when all we've done is share our experience. And it's because of the stuff that they have going on in their own life, not because of our story, not because of our experience, not because of what we've shared, that they can then turn on us and revile us. So they say to this man, well, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Okay, that's like, you know, playing the ace card. That's the winning hand. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Moses had lived a long time before these people, and they are so confident that they knew that God had spoken to Moses. But the person who was living right there with them, they can't figure that out. Does God speak to this man Jesus or not? And this man is getting an education real quick in a lot of ways. And I just love his response. He's not being nasty or hateful or sarcastic here. He's just honestly astounded. And he says, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he, he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This man's beginning to put two and two together. He has been taught. He has some understanding. Really what he's doing is he's repeating back to these leaders the very same teaching that they have been espousing for all these years. Okay. Okay. God doesn't listen to sinners. We've established that. You guys have been teaching that for a long time. Um, So who does God listen to? God listens to worshipers and people who obey him. So we kind of need to conclude here that this man is a worshiper of God and is obedient to God because otherwise my eyes would still be blind. And then he goes on and he says, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. No story. No miracle. This is truly something new. And then he says, If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Remember this. He's not even making the statement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's just saying, hey, he has God's favor. He has been sent by God. Maybe along the same lines as the prophets of Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all of the other prophets that God had sent to the nation of Israel over time. They don't want to hear that Jesus has any favor at all from God. It's not just a matter that they don't want to hear that he's not the Messiah, he's not the Christ, he's not the Son of God. They don't even want people to believe that he has God's approval just as a prophet in the same vein as, uh, as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Elijah or Elisha or Moses or, or the patriarchs of Abraham or anybody else. Now they're going to start result, resorting to what we've seen them do in other times, and that is when push comes to shove, When they cannot stand up and speak about from their own teaching before, when their own contradictions come back to them and they can't account for those contradictions, then what do they do? Then they start resorting to straw men, to ad hominem, to personal attacks. And so what do they say? You were born in utter sin. This is an insult. This is not a statement of recognition of people being born with a fallen nature. This is an accusation that said, you, you were born in sin. Something wrong with you. Something wrong with your parents. You're not like us. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. You know, this man had no education like these Pharisees. What he did have was he had had an encounter with Jesus. I spoke a couple of episodes back, and I talked about the statement that we often hear, uh, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I, I understand the intent of that, but I still hate the statement, and I don't even think it's accurate. But there are times when The only thing that qualifies us to speak the truth is when we're just speaking the truth of our encounter and our experience with Christ and what he's done in our lives. And that is always qualification enough to bear witness to the goodness and the grace and the power of God. Ultimately, that's all that we need In order to to be able to just share our story. In Revelations, it tells us that they, and these are people who were in heaven, they overcame the evil one by the blood of the Lamb, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and the word of their testimony. Our stories, our personal stories of our encounters and experiences with God, with Jesus, are absolutely powerful they are worth telling not because we have all this this other support not because we have the approval of leaders per se simply because of the grace and the encounters that we can have with jesus christ ourselves well he is cast out Okay, This was not a nice little escort out the doors. This was probably like getting picked up and, and, and thrown out. They, they hustled that man out of there really, really fast. What comes to mind are the pictures like in the old Western movies where somebody gets picked up and he gets thrown through the swinging saloon doors. Okay, No, I'm not saying that they had swinging saloon doors on, on the, um, the synagogue there, but you kind of get the drift of where I'm going with that. Well, Jesus hears that this man has been cast out, and he seeks him out. Doesn't Jesus always have a way of seeking us out when we've been cast out? And Jesus asks him the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man, formerly known as Blind Bigger Man, says, well, well who is he that, that I can believe in him? Remember, this is the first time that he's ever even seen Jesus, and he hasn't made the connection yet. This is the man who actually healed him. And Jesus, basically, he says, it's it's me. Now, he uses different language, but that's what he says, it's me. And the man says, I believe, and he proceeds to worship. Well, some of the Pharisees just can't leave well enough alone. And so they are standing around and they hear these things and they have got to interject themselves. Why can these people not just leave anybody alone, right? They, they are always having to stir up trouble. They just can't leave Jesus alone. Sometimes if you have somebody who is angry with you, who doesn't like you, who, who resents the work of God in your life they're not going to leave you alone. They're just going to keep showing up and they're going to keep bugging you no matter what you're doing and who you're with. And that's exactly what Jesus had to contend with with the Pharisees. Jesus goes on and he says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees have their hearts pricked. They have their conscience pricked. If not, they never would have answered. And so what they say, oh, are we also blind? And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. If you were to say, you know, if, if, when a person is blind because they really, truly don't know and understand something, there is a different accountability for when person a person has had the opportunity to see something, when they've had the opportunity to encounter truth. And, and they don't. They refuse it. They're the equivalent of people who say, yes, I want to be able to have healing. I want to be able to have a changed perspective. I want to be able to have a clear mind and, and clear insight. But don't you dare put that dirt spit saliva mixture on me god that's not how this is going to happen this is going to happen because you're going to you're going to speak your word you're going to um, you know lay a hand on me i'm going to dictate to you how my healing occurs those are the people who remain blind people who also do not have the willingness to just go and follow the instruction even when they don't understand why they need to follow that even when there's no promise that healing is going to occur those are the people who remain blind this is a fascinating story and i really encourage you to go back you know it's it's not a long chapter and it's a fun story to read in so many levels especially if you just really take the time and you imagine yourself in these different roles and you can see yourself standing there and, and listening in and on all these different conversations that occurred as this man was healed. And then he's in the, the synagogue, and then his parents are called in, and then he's called in again. And then he meets up with Jesus and is able to see, for the very first time, the man who restored and, and gave him his sight. So I encourage you to go back, read that. It's a great story also to read and discuss with your family because there's so much in here. And I've just, I've just kind of uh, just, just touched the, the surface of it in this chapter. So I encourage you to dig in on your own. Well, remember this, my friend. You do have an impact that is immeasurable. It's eternal. It's irreplaceable. And because of that, I want to see you think deeply, live intentionally, and engage fully in God's grand story. See you next time. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.